All right. Well, hey, listen, I have had just an absolute awesome time with you guys this weekend. And, of course, uh, I really think that the Lord uh, helped us. And and uh, I'm just really excited. So I want you to mark, again, John chapter 5, uh, Exodus chapter 32, and Numbers chapter 12. Now, I kind of want to recap just really quickly kind of where we've been this weekend and what we've been looking at. And, of course, it's really important. Um, John chapter 5, verses, I think it's 45 through 47. And this is the last section of John chapter 5, and this is great because I think last night in the midst of the games, uh, we had a chance to talk about this, and this is just a perfect wrap-up to our weekend and really, the whole of uh, uh, John chapter 5 is summed up right here. And it's in a conversation that Jesus is having with the leadership of Israel. And he brings up Moses, which is just incredible. In John chapter 5, there are two groups. And the first group is headed up by Jesus. And the second group is headed up, headed up by And, of course, Jesus represents the and the Jews represent, which is really, really aggressive. Of course, uh, uh, this group here is centered on uh, the person, which is the Father. They're the Christians. And this group we've been really calling the religious group. And uh, in John chapter 5, and again, we, this is kind of just overview for you really quickly. The first 15 verses of the chapter is the story. Jesus comes into the temple. It's the second time he's been in the temple in this gospel. And uh, it's really aggressive. He heals a man who's been there for 38 years. He heals him of his sickness. And uh, uh, he makes the Jews absolutely irate. Because in doing this, he broke one of their traditions, one of their rules, which is what they're really into. And... Um, they begin to persecute him. So what you have in the first 15 verses is the story of the events that took place. Then, in verses 16 through 30, we have what? Anybody remember? Jesus' testimony. In other words, Jesus explains to the leadership of Israel why it is what he did, what he did in the first 15 verses, in the... uh, uh, in the temple. And then the last section, which we only looked at briefly, is verses 31 through 47, which are the other testimonies, where Jesus says, listen to me, I'm not the only one talking about this. This is uh, extremely, uh, uh, this is not new material. Um, you know, hey, I'm not, th- this stuff has been talked about long before me. And he comes down, the very last one, which is powerful, it's verses 45 through 47. And Jesus, talking to them, brings up Moses. And I want to read this passage of Scripture to us. John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, this is how it reads. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what I wrote, how are you going to believe 
since you, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I'm saying? Now, there's some things that we didn't get to point out this week, which I really want you to get and understand, is by the time you come down to Jesus talking about Moses, the tables have turned, and what you find is, is Jesus is actually saying, hey, listen, I'm not the one on trial here. Actually, you are the one on trial here. And in fact, the very one that you're putting your hopes on, which is Moses, see, they were really into Moses, uh, is going to be the one that's going to accuse them. Now, Moses was really, really important. You guys know who Moses is, right? Moses was really, really important to the people of Israel. Uh, Moses was what we consider a type. You guys know what I mean by type. There were all kinds of uh, ways in the Old Testament. Uh, let me say it this way. There were 300, we talked about this earlier this week, there were 332 prophecies. And prophecies were things that were given uh, that were things that had not yet come. They came through the prophets and the prophets talked about them before they took place and they were called prophecies, okay? Uh, prophets would come and say, hey, this and this is going to happen and right down the road, those things did happen. They were called prophecies. Well, there were prophets in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus before he was ever born and there were 332 of those prophecies, okay? Those were specific prophecies. But there were also things in the Old Testament that were not necessarily prophecies but that God instilled, he He put in place for the, the people of Israel that was to teach them about Jesus before he came. And they were kind of examples of what Christ would be. We call those things types, okay? One of those types was a lamb. That was one of probably the most, favor, uh, the most famous is that they were to come every year and they, at the Passover and they were to sacrifice this lamb. Anybody know any specifics about the lamb? How old was it to be? Anybody remember? Remember? One-year-old lamb. Was it supposed to be a male or a female lamb? Really? You guys don't know this? You guys need to go home and read Old Testament, man. It's full of stuff. It's supposed to be a one-year-old male lamb and without spot or... Oh, there you go. Pardon me. Without spot or blemish. It was to be a perfect lamb. And they were to bring this every year and they were to offer this as a sacrifice for the sins of, the, uh, for the sins of their family. And of course, there was also one that was offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Now that lamb, there was nothing special about that lamb, but that lamb was representative of who? Or representative of who? Jesus, and he's to come. So he was a type, okay? So God gave all of these what you call types. There was all kinds of these things. I mean, the temple, okay, is a type of, uh, uh, of what we are to be. See, we are God's house, not some building, okay? That was a teach us uh, in the Old Testament about what was God, God was going to do in the New Testament. So when you come down to John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, and Jesus brings up Moses, all right, Moses over here, and Jesus brings up Moses, Moses was a very, very important person to the people of Israel. He was a type. In other words, he was, he was one who demonstrated very closely, was one of the first ones who demonstrated the kind of relationship that God is going to have with Christ and that God is also wanting to have with you and I. Okay? And Moses was extremely important to this group of people. Moses was the one who wrote what they call the Torah. Uh, in Judaism today, over in Jerusalem, uh, in Palestine, and of course in the Middle East, you have these Jews who, uh, of course, uh, they don't believe in Jesus, but they still hold to the Old Covenant stuff. What they're living under, see who they're following, the direction they're under is, is Moses. Okay? They follow and they, they, they uh, adopt the Torah in their lifestyle. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
Okay? That's the Torah. It's the law. And Moses was the one who wrote that thing. Okay? So Moses was really, really special to these guys. But Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you say that you're into Moses. You really say that you're into the law. You're saying that, hey, man, hey, Moses is the one that you're putting your hopes in. Well, listen, if you would have believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses wrote about me. And what Jesus says is everything that Moses talked about is everything that I've been talking to you about. And get this, this is really neat. Moses was getting in on what I'm telling you about right now. Moses was already experiencing, to some extent, what I've been experiencing and what I'm telling you about right now. So Moses was really, really, really significant. Um, We've talked about Bible study some this week. Um, When I was, uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps, and we remember what I said about that, and I lived in California for about two months after I got out, I came to the conclusion that I needed to get away from that society. I needed to get away from my friends there. I needed to get away from that atmosphere, just culture, everything, as quickly as possible. And I moved back to home to Indiana. And I moved in with a little old lady in our church after a while. I lived there. Little old ladies are great. And uh, they cook great. And, man, speed Scrabble. They all play Scrabble. So, um, you know, I moved in with a little lady in my church, and I worked at Sears. And uh, I began to go to church, and, and uh, God began to deal with me. And one Wednesday night, my pastor gave this sermon, and uh, I found out later it was on entire sanctification. I, didn't even, I really didn't hear much of what he said. My heart was beating out of my chest, and I responded down to the altar. And I, just, I remember going down and saying, Lord, you have my life. And I accepted that was my official call to preach. I knew God wanted me to preach. Well, I shared that with my church, and my pastor said, Great, you can preach next Sunday. Of course, I was scared to death, okay, because I'd never preached before. And here's what I thought. My idea of preaching was is that you had this really wise person, like Bob, who would stand up in front of his congregation and lead them and teach them about the Bible. Well, I'd been walking with the Lord for a total of about a month and a half, two months. And I thought, how in the world can I stand up and teach people who had walked with Jesus for their entire life? How could I stand up and teach them about God? They know more about God than I do. And so it changed the way that I, I, I was approaching the Bible. And the way that I approached the Bible from that point on was that I didn't want to come here and teach them about, you know, from my own wisdom uh, about how to follow God. But I would come and I would open up a passage of Scripture and I would just walk them through it and explain it. And I would let the authority and the power and the knowledge come from the book rather from me. Does that make sense? I stole all my material from here. And just to be honest with you, I've never written one sermon. I don't come up with my own material. I steal everything I get from here. Okay? So I'm no one special. You can do the same thing I am. You just come back to the book. first sermon I preached was Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40, which is Paul and Silas in prison. And that's what I did. So from that time on, what I'm getting at is from that time on, every time I've ever shared with teenagers, every time I've ever shared with adults, I really want to be careful that I don't tell you what I think because I not only don't care what you think, uh, I know that you really probably don't care what I think. You really, want to, you really care what this book says. So I want to be very, very careful and very, very specific that what I'm teaching you guys this weekend is not what Jeremiah wants, but what Jesus Christ wants. And how do I know what Jesus Christ wants? I come back to the book. We've been talking about that. 
Now, in our passage, Jesus is talking about Moses, and he says, Moses wrote about me. Well, I struggle with that because that's five books in the Old Testament. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that Jesus is referring to. In fact, in our passage, it says this, verse 45. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. That, and, the, and that's English translation. The little translation of that is Moses' writings. In other words, the writings that belong to Moses speak about me. So Jesus is drawing upon this large, massive amount of material in the Old Testament that Moses wrote and says, listen, these writings right here that were done by Moses, they wrote about me. Now, this may not mean too much to you, but it will in a minute. I struggle with that because I, I didn't want to just go back into the Old Testament and pick whatever I wanted to pick out of the Old Testament about Moses and say, well, you know, hey, I, this is what Moses was talking about. Um, I don't want to talk to you about anything about what Jeremiah has come up with. I really want to know what John is trying to say here. Does that make sense? Are you, are you on to what I'm saying? See, when I'm studying the passage, man, I see, I want to know what he's trying to say. I want to know what Jesus was referring to. When he says Moses wrote about me, what's he talking about? Well, what exactly did Moses write that, hey, that Jesus you're referring to? And I really struggle with that. So I went back into John chapter 5, and I walked through the passage, and I begin to find that the, the theme, and we talked about this last night in the middle of the game, the theme of, the, of chapter 5 is all about intimacy. Okay. What God wants from you is not an, an adaptation of rules, not a, a, a list of regulations. See, I was amazed at this. Let me Give me two seconds. I was amazed at this. When I first became a Christian, see, the way that I always thought Christianity worked, and I'm hoping to, you guys don't fall into this, uh, when, how I thought Christianity worked and what I thought the big deal was is that I would follow God and he would give me a list of do's and he would give me a list of don'ts. If I really got into the do's, I stayed away from the don'ts, I would make it to heaven. If not, he'd flip me into hell. That's what I thought Christianity was. It was a list of right and wrongs. It was a jump through the hoop type of thing. Well, I went back into the Old Testament. And what I found was, I just began to read through it. I found out that from the very beginning, God never was into rules at all. He was never into rules at all. The beginning of the Old Testament starts about God in relationship with this guy named Abraham. Okay? God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I want to make an everlasting covenant with you. Hey, I'm going to raise you up and draw out of you a people for myself. Hey, I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. It's phenomenal. Walk before me and be blameless. Just focus on me. Trust in me. And at that point, I expected God to say, and here's the law. Here's what I want you to do. But listen to me. The law was never given. The law wasn't given until after Exodus. There was no law given. There was the covenant of circumcision, which we all love, but that wasn't the law. That was a sign of the covenant. That was another joke. You missed it. Um, <clears throat> that was a sign of the covenant. It wasn't the law. And so Moses walked with his God, and the basis of the covenant was not the law. It was faith and trust and intimacy. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac walked with God the same way. There was no law. Jacob, which was the son of uh, Isaac and whom the covenant extended through and Jacob walked with his God there was no law think about this I thought this was really interesting God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel being the covenant name for his people 
at Beth, you know, they had the intimate meeting at Bethel. And then, of course, right before he met his brother, the changing of the name after all the details of Jacob's life. And Jacob, <clears throat> Israel, now Jacob, Jacob, now Israel, walks with God and there's no law given. How many sons does Jacob, now Israel, how many sons does he have? Starts with a T, ends with a 12. 12, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And out through all of those generations, there's no law given. You guys, listen to this. Joseph, which is the second youngest of, jo- uh, of Israel's son, he gets shipped off into slavery to Egypt. You remember that story? And, of course, he's there. And uh, for a time, he, he goes into power in Egypt. And all, of, all the people of Israel come under the protection of Egypt. And how long do they remain in Egypt? 400 years. And during that time, there's no law. The law didn't come until God raises up Moses and brings the people out. Now, what am I trying to tell you? What am I trying to tell you? That the law, get this now, this may be a little bit over your head, but I don't think so. The law was not given as the focus of the covenant. The law was brought alongside the covenant of intimacy and trust and faith. The law was brought alongside of that because of sin. So as I begin to go through the Old Testament, see, the big deal was never, ever, ever about law. Listen to me, teenager. You got to get this. God never wanted a jump through the hoops type relationship with you. If you do this and this and this and this, I'll have covenant with you. That's never, that was never the deal. See, I don't know who fed us that kind of stuff. Because that's all I heard as a kid. It kind of weaseled its way into our Christmas stuff, you know. You've been naughty or nice. If you're naughty, you know, you don't get any presents. Which, I was always naughty and got presents. But the deal was, is if you're naughty, you don't get presents. If you were nice, you did get presents. And, and you were rewarded for the good things you do. And you were punished for the bad things you do. And so it all became about rules and lists. You understand what I'm saying? That's ne- See, that's never what God wanted. The issue, and, and this is what we've been studying in John chapter 5, the issue is not on rules. The issue is not on, give me another one, that we talked about. Traditions. It's not about right. I'll spell it right this time. Right and... It's not about right and wrong. It's not about do's and don'ts. See, that's not the big deal. The big deal is about intimacy with a person. See, the leadership of Israel come up to Jesus and they say, why it is that you're doing what you're doing? And Jesus doesn't say, well, I do all the do's and I don't do all the... I, I go to church on Sunday. I don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls to do. I don't lie. I don't steal. don't have sex before marriage. See, he doesn't mention the list stuff. When they come up to him and say, why is it that you're doing the things that you're doing? Jesus automatically turns to a person and says, ah, I'm tight with him. I'm intimate with him. What's going on inside of him is going on inside of me. What he cares about is what I care about. What he's into is what I'm into. What gets him fired up gets me fired up. See, this is the basis. This, it's intimacy. If you could buy that, um, what God wants with you is not, again, rules. It's, man, he wants to... He wants to be involved with what you're involved in. Today, uh, I'm going to be leaving, and I go to your airport, and I'm going to sit there and work on my computer, and then I'm going to fly home and kiss my wife and um, go pick up my fifth wheel Monday morning. I'm going to pull it down to Indianapolis, and Jesus is going with me that entire trip. I think we're going to watch Lord of the Rings Monday night. He loves that, so we're going to do that again. 
And he is involved in all the things that I'm doing. So you just wake up in the morning and say, i got to go to school. And instead of doing your devotions and then leaving him home holding your devotional book in the closet, you could just say, you know what, how about you come to school with me today? Come and sit in math class. You'll love it. It's great. Just talk with me as my friends. Walk down. Get, get in the inner confines of my thought life. I want you to think the thoughts that I'm thinking. In fact, I want to begin to think the thoughts that you would think. That's the way Jesus talks. This is the relationship. Now, we don't have time to go into this fully. We looked at verses 16 through 19. Okay? And Jesus talks about what he does, the Father does. The do stuff. There were two Greek words for do, does, doing. The first one was, ah, you guys rock. Prosso. And the second one was, oh, you guys are going to want to take Greek this next year in high school, I can tell you. Prosso is an emphasis on actions. Where poieto is an emphasis on motivation. All right? Now, we did not get to verse 20. And in verse 20, there's a ton there that we can't go through. Jesus continues with this intimacy idea. Now, get this. You're going to love this. He says, the Father loves the Son. Okay? The Father loves the Son. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Now, there are two Greek words for love. You ready for this? Give me one of them. Anybody know the first one? Phileo is one. And give me the other one. Agape is the other. Okay, those are the two Greek words, agape and phileo. Now, every time, now this is, again, long story and we'll cut it short. But every time in the New Testament, when it talks about God's relationship with Jesus, God's relationship with man, or Jesus, or our relationship with God, every time in the New Testament, it is always agape. But when I looked up in John, what I found was, is that Jesus, get this now, in describing his relationship with the Father, this is nuts, It's not agape, it's phileo. It's the only place besides John chapter 15 where the relationship described with God is not agape, it's phileo. Now listen to this. Agape is covenant love. It's the kind of love that you see in marriage. You know, when you stand before your, you know, spouse-to-be and you say, I will love you, that's agape, it's covenant. It's not, there's no uh, feelings in that, it's not... There's no conditions on that. That's why we say for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, whether you're a flake or not, (laughs) I don't care what you do to me, I don't care how you act to me, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life and I'm going to pour out my life and I'm I'm going to covenant with you and I'm going to love you regardless of what you do to me. That's love. That's that word. Okay? Agape. Phileo is not so. Phileo is more of a brotherly, Family or friendship love. Scholars tell us that this love right here is highly emotional. Okay, It's an intimate type of term. It's, um, 
It's the type of it's the type of love that you would see expressed. Now, agape is there between a husband and wife, but phileo is also there between a husband and a wife. It's the kind of love where you know uh, excitement and there's emotions and there's just kind of that kind of a deal. It's it's family. See, there's a difference between me loving someone with agape and just liking to be around them. Um, the best way that I can describe this to you would be the uh, the uh, the love that I have with, with my wife. Um, I do love my wife, Agape. But there's a different type of a love that we share. She's a, she really is my best friend. Of course, I don't have very many friends. Um, I live on the road, so I don't have time to spend with you know other people. And uh, when she's not with me on the road, it's absolutely horrible. Uh, I hate it. I hate being alone. I hate uh, you go to these kind of events and you are just... Just to be quite honest with you, you're put up on this pedestal. Everyone's looking at you. They all want your attention. It's just constant, 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 constant. When you're at a revival, a Sunday through Wednesday is what we normally do. Uh, it's like that all week, okay? But Wednesday night, you all go home. And I get in my truck, and I grab my fifth wheel, and I go about 1,000 miles <laughs> across the country, and I'm by myself Wednesday night. All day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, till I get to the next church when it's the next rush of uh, relationship. And that Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are some of the most lonely and just isolated times of my life. I spend, pardon me, I spend the nights in Flying J rest, or in Flying J uh, truck stops. You know, I'm all by myself, and it gets it gets lonely, and I just absolutely miss my wife. Okay. I absolutely miss my wife. And people say, well, I understand because you need her to cook for you. I'm like, no. Okay, I'm a full-functioning male. I can cook for myself. I did so for the first five, six years of my life before I got married. Okay, I, can, I don't need her there to cook my food. They're like, well, yeah, I know. I mean, but you need her there, you know, to help with the laundry. And I'm like, no, I don't need her there for the help with the laundry. They said, well, why do you need her there? I just want her to be there. I don't need her to say anything. I don't need her to do anything. I just need her present in the fifth wheel. And um, of course, it's really cool now because I get up early. I'm a morning person. My wife's not. I get up about 7, 6.30, and I get out in the fifth wheel, and I go up in the front loft, and I'm doing my stuff. And, and about uh, 9.30 or 10, I'll hear shaking around in the back, and my wife's getting up. And she waddles out because she's pregnant. She waddles now. So she'll, she'll come waddling out of the back, and, and she's got this big belly, and it's got a brown line down it because she's pregnant. It's really neat. It appeared one morning. I woke up and was like, Whoa! <laughs> So she's got this big belly, and she she waddles out into the kitchen, and and uh, you know, and she usually says something like CJ's, you know, kicking, and and uh, I, I I usually cook her breakfast because you know she does lunch, and so I cook her breakfast, and we sit upstairs and throw in you know a tape. We don't have cable or TV, so we just throw in a movie or music, and and it's just it's not like we talk all day long. It's just that she's there. Now, that's the way that Jesus talks about his relationship with God. It's like Jesus said, I just, I need him to be there. See, well, they say, well, you want God to go with you all day long. Well, what do you want him to do for you? Well, it's not that I want him to do anything for me. I just, I, it's just, I want him to be there. You mean in math class? You want him to help with your homework? No, I just, I want him to sit beside me. I want him to be tight with me. I want him to just, wherever I go, I want him to go. When I go to the movie, I don't want to leave him I don't want to leave him behind. Does that make sense, what I'm getting at? Do you see the intimacy in that? 
I mean, he wants to be tight with him. It's not just, see, he doesn't talk to him like God. He talks to him like Father. That's the way he talks about it, which is aggressive. See, they come up to Jesus and they say, why are you doing the things you're doing? And Jesus starts talking about, well, my father does this and I do this. Which they never talked like that. It was always like, holy God. You ever noticed in church sometimes, which is not bad, people talk, you know, oh God. And, you know, it's this almost impersonal relationship type of thing, you know. It's really like, um, I used to get yelled at sometimes because I wouldn't close my, my, my prayers in and we asked these things and, you know, kind of like it was, you know, magic word type of stuff. If you didn't say the right thing, he wouldn't hear you. Jesus doesn't talk like that. They come up to him and say, why are you doing what you're doing? And Jesus says, well, you know, my dad, <laughs> you know, pop, that's how he is. You know, it's my father. It's, it's intimate language. Okay. This is what the passage is. Now, what I did was, are you still with me? John 45 through 47. Okay, it's our passage. Jesus is talking about Moses. Okay, and he says, listen, all that Jesus has been talking about is this intimate relationship with the Father. And he says, okay, he says, Moses wrote about that intimate relationship with the Father. (laughs) This is really interesting. He wrote about that. He experienced that. Moses was into this. And I went back into the Old Testament and I had you mark some scriptures. Where mo- you begin to see this intimate relationship. You're going to just flip on this. You begin to see this intimate relationship. Flip over with me to Exodus chapter 32. This intimate relationship that Moses has with God. Now hear this. I begin to realize when you guys begin to read through the Old Testament. And I would, I would extremely suggest it. Uh, I would strongly suggest it. That Moses. Okay. Look at me. Moses was really unique among God's people. You begin to see this in a bunch of places, but it really becomes strong in chapter 32. Chapter 32, you guys know what that, this is, right? Chapter th- 32 is where Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They're around this mountain. Moses has went up for like 40 days, and he's getting the law. Do you remember this story? What happens is right in the middle of the law, God, God's given them the law. Aaron is down at the base of the mountain, and they build what? What do they build? The golden calf, which is going to become their new God. Because Moses has been gone for 40 days. They got a big wildfire up there. Who knows what happened to him? He's probably dead. Let's get out of here. Let's go on. We're not going to wait anymore. That's the whole deal. And right, get this. I think this is funny. Right in the midst of God giving the law, there's this great interruption. And this is what God says down in vo- uh, verse 7, 32. Right in the middle of giving the law, God stops and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have come corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol uh, cast in the shape of a calf. And they've bound down to it and and sacrificed to it and have said, These are our gods, O Israel, uh, who brought you up out of uh, uh, Egypt. He goes, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone. Now, this is really interesting. God's like, go down, tell these like losers, you know, hey, get away, just dump them. And then he says this. Now, you guys can get this. God says to Moses, now leave me alone. Kind of like, leave me alone about this. And you get this idea that he already knows that Moses is just going to be, you know, kind of like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't abandon him, which Moses always does this. And Moses says, Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. 
and said, O Lord. And then he goes down and he begins to describe and he ends up talking to God on their behalf and saves his people. Now listen to me. This is what I'm getting at. It's like Moses has an intimate relationship with God that the people do not have. He has the inside ear of God. All the time throughout the Old Testament, God is always going to say, hey, you know, get out of here, I'm going to destroy him. And Moses is like, come on, man. And he talks on their behalf and he gets them out of trouble. The next page, listen to how the people refer to God's relationship with Moses. This is what it says. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord, get this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. When I looked that up in the original language, guess what word friend is? Phileo. Moses had this unique, intimate relationship with God, and it was the phileo type of friendship. And all throughout the Old Testament, I won't look at the, I won't make you look at the uh, numbers passages because I, I keep it short. But all throughout the book of Numbers, you begin to read, and what you begin to find is, look, look at me, what you begin to find is, is that Moses had this intimacy and tightness and relationship with God. He was a friend to God. Every time the Israelites were in trouble, Moses would come and he would speak to God face to face. Okay? What you find out is, is at the end of Moses' life, God reprimands Moses and he does not allow him to go into the promised land. Moses made a huge mistake. What I always thought was Moses broke the law, but that wasn't true. Moses never, did, never, never broke these. Do you know why Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land? He abandoned this. He didn't trust him. He didn't walk intimately with him. There's the whole issue around the water with the rock. He did not trust him. Do you know what's going to keep you out of heaven? Do you know what's going to keep your parents out of heaven? Do you know what's going to keep our churches and the people of our day out of heaven? Uh, well, they, uh, they drink. No, that's not going to keep them out of heaven. They smoke cigarettes. No, that's not going to keep them out of heaven. They drink coffee, and I know that's worse than cigarettes, but that's not going to keep them out of heaven. What's going to keep them out of heaven? Well, they're going to be murderers. That's not what we're talking about. Do you know what's going to keep them out of heaven? I'm telling you the truth. What God, wants in your, it, what God wants in your relationship with him is not a keeping of rules, but it's the intimate type of relationship that Moses experienced. And Jesus said, look, hey, Moses was going through the same thing that I'm going through. I always found it amazing at the end of Jesus' life, he sets his disciples down and they're saying, teach us, teach us. And he doesn't bring up one rule. He starts talking about vine and branch type of stuff. Remain in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit because apart from me you can't do nothing. Just be as tight with me as you possibly can. Don't go anywhere without me. Don't do anything without my preference. Just be so wrapped up in me and so tight with me that what's going on inside of me is going on inside of you. This is what we're talking about in terms of Christianity. Now, the only thing I get to do in my sermons is I get to name the sermon. That's all I get to do. I tell you the passage and I get to stick a name to it. And I'm calling this one Moses, the Hobbit. What do you think? You want to know why? Who's seen Lord of the Rings? Raise your hand. Okay. 
This is the perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. It's the last thing I'll say to you. <clears throat> Lord of the Rings. It's a story <clears throat> of prophecies and the restoration of the kingdom of men. You have this prophesied returning king that's going to come. Does it sound familiar? This king is prophesied to come again. Who does that sound like? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? His name is Aragorn, the lesser, Elfstone. He is the, he is the rightful king that has been told to return. All throughout the movie, you see him coming and he's saving his friends and, and he's just, wherever he goes, there's royalty. There's just, there's, especially in the books, the movies are good, but the books just, there's just this something about him that he just takes everyone else around him and he just focuses them in. He's the leader and he's the one that gets him out of trouble. He's just this figure. He's the king. He's the just, oh, it's awesome. And everyone around him always shows him respect and there's this, I mean, there's this the admiration and there's this awe and there's this, this reverence and that kind of thing except for four particular people. I really got interested, okay? There are four hobbits. Peregrine Took, you would know him as Pippin. Meridoc Brandybuck, you would know him as Mary. Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee, okay? These are the four hobbits. And at the very end of the movie, now stick with this, at the very end of the movie, you have Aragorn, and he's now king. You've got the crown on his head, you know, all the important people are there, the elves and all that, you know, and the leaders of the Middle Earth, and, and he's gotten his wife, Arwen, and, and he's standing, and everybody's bowing down, and they're all just showing reverence. And you have these four hobbits who have spent the entire journey with him, and they've never really known him as Aragorn the king, although he is their king. They've never really known him as Aragorn, you know, their lord, which he is their lord. They've always known him as who? Strider. At the very end of the movie, and especially in the books, at the very end of the book, the last book, it's like everyone that listens to Aragorn and the hobbits, they're almost kind of like they chastise the hobbits a little bit because they're just too casual around him. See, they don't come in. In fact, in the movie, it shows how they bow and Aragorn comes up to him and what does he say to them? You don't bow to anyone. And when they come in his presence, he's, he's not, oh, king. They come in and they're like, hey, what's up, Strider? It's casual. It's, it's friend. Is he king? Absolutely is he king. Is he lord? Absolutely he's lord. Is he sovereign over all the land? Absolutely he's sovereign over the land. But he's Strider. When I get to heaven, I'm going to walk right up to him. Jesus, that is. I'm going to be there. And is he going to be my king? Absolutely, he's going to be my king. Is he going to be my Lord? Absolutely, he's going to be my Lord. Is he going to be sovereign, creator God? Absolutely. But I'm going to be like, I know you. And he's not going to grab my lists. I'm not going to be like, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, I knew you. I was with you. I was tight with you. And I'm going to know him as Jesus. And as I walked with him with my life here, I'm going to walk with him in heaven there. This you got to see, this is the message. Coming to church your whole life and not drinking and not doing drugs and not smoking. Sure. Hey, yeah, don't do those things. But that's not going to get you to heaven because that's not what he wants. He wants to be tight with you, man. Kind of Moses, the hobbit. <laughs> that's probably stretching it. But see, it's just, oh, it's intimate. It's tight. It's close. I hope we got that this weekend. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. 
I hope you communicate better than I can communicate. At the end of this passage, Jesus looks in remorse at this religious group of people of his day who are all about the rules and the traditions and the right and the wrongs and the duty and the sacrifice and that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, you don't get it. And the very one who wrote for you the law and the traditions, and there's nothing wrong with those. Those are proper. Those are helpful. Those are instructive. But the very one who gave you those, you did not listen to him. Because he was considered the friend of God. He talked face to face with him. He wrote about the exact same things that I'm telling you right now, and which I'm living, and which everyone who comes after me will live. Jesus, my prayer this morning for those in this room is that they will understand that their eyes will be opened and that they will come into the type of relationship that you've always longed with them. Are you God? Oh, yes, you're God. Are you king? Absolutely. Are you sovereign creator of all things? Oh, yes, you're my Lord, my master. But you're my friend. You're, oh, you want to be tight with me. You never wanted to jump through the hoops type relationship with me. I believe you wanted to share the most intimate details of my life. You wanted to feel what I'm feeling and you wanted me to feel what you're feeling and we wanted to share the same type of vision and the same kind of dreams. And Every waking moment of my day just be spent with you. I want to embrace that. I want, I want you to do whatever you need to do in my life to bring that to pass. And I pray that you would do it for those of us in this room. And we thank you and praise you and ask these things in your name. Amen.